access to healthcare was what was important to him, making sure that people could get it and that it was high quality. And research, he thought, really drove the quality of care. So he really wanted OHSU to be a world-class research organization because he thought the care would be better. And they did so much charity care around Oregon that the access issue was really important to him. There's nobody, there's nobody, very, not only in Oregon history, there's no one that, in my mind, uh, eclipses him, and I mean no one, <laughs> including McCall, uh, which is another story. But uh, I, would, I would say nationally, uh, there's virtually no one that did as much either for their state or for the country on the area of environmental protection as Senator Hatfield did. We just haven't told the story well. Senator Mark Hatfield had his eye on the future of Oregon. Two policy areas he worked diligently on during the second half of his career continue to have a positive impact for Oregonians today. I'm Kevin Curry. July 12th, 2022 would have been the Senator's 100th birthday. So this season, we revisit the moment of Mark Hatfield's 30-year career in the United States Senate. Our guides are the voices and memories of those who worked closely with him and observed his leadership. In this fourth episode, we revisit two issues Senator Hatfield focused on, which have a tremendous positive effect on Oregon today, but for which he may not receive as much credit, healthcare and environmental protection. From the 1980s until he retired, Senator Hatfield consistently worked on these issues and helped set Oregon on a course that it benefits from to this day. This episode of Revisit the Moment is sponsored by the Oregon Historical Society, the Oregon Historical Society is dedicated to making Oregon's long, rich history visible and accessible to all. For more than a century, it has served as the state's collective memory, gathering and preserving a vast collection of artifacts, photographs, films, manuscripts, books, and oral histories. Be sure to visit the Oregon Historical Society Museum Store, the perfect place to shop if you're looking for something uniquely Oregon. Browse books, historic photos, housewares, jewelry, and much more, all representing Oregon's rich history and culture. The museum store is also where you can purchase a DVD copy of The Gentleman of the Senate, Oregon's Mark Hatfield, the feature-length documentary on the senator. Learn more about the Oregon Historical Society online at ohs.org. Hatfield staffer Rick Rolfe is well aware that health care policy is not the kind of issue that helps a senator get reelected. And Senator Hatfield was aware, too. But that didn't stop the senator from making work in this area a top priority for him. First of all, Mark Hatfield just fundamentally cared about people's health. And health research, you will find, does not really resonate politically. People don't really know what it means. They know more now than they did then. But he knew that if he could build a state on a platform based on helping people, as opposed to the uh, defense culture that most of those appropriation senators created their constituencies around, that he could create a very special place using his role as the chairman of the Appropriations Committee or the ranking member, depending on which one he was, to distinguish Oregon as not being based on, on, on military uh, foundations or on 
preparation for war, but, but preparation for life. And he, it was just fundamental to his way of, of looking at the world. It was instinctive. It was something that staff wouldn't have to go and recommend that he do this. So these ideas flowed from him. Kerry Timchuk, executive director of the Oregon Historical Society, notes how Hatfield's focus on health was consistent with his values. Well, the one thing, uh, of course, that you see in Portland, that wouldn't be here if it weren't for Senator Hatfield, is Oregon Health Sciences University, OHSU. Uh, whereas in some states, Washington State, for example, where Senator Jackson and Senator Magnuson served for years, uh, they built the, uh, the military industrial complex up there. Boeing is there, and other military contractors are there because of Senator Jackson and Senator Magnuson. Senator Hatfield, of course, was famed for not being a, uh, a big supporter of, of war. Uh, and I think he saw a different role for Oregon. Instead of bringing a defense industry here, he brought OHSU, which is, uh, I think, long-term, uh, a much better investment for Oregon uh, to have one of America's leading healthcare centers, health science universities, up on the hill here in Portland. Sue Hildick, who worked closely with Senator Hatfield on health care policy, believes the prominence of Oregon Health and Sciences University in the state is because Hatfield made it a priority. Yeah, there would be an OHSU, but I don't think it would be half of what it is today. I really believe that um, not only did he see the power of OHSU, he saw the potential of what it will be, you know, 10 to 20 years from now. He was that visionary in so many things. And, you know, when light rail was built and everybody said, we don't need it, he said, we will. Same thing about OHSU. It needs to be a top 10 research institution in the country. It needs to be able to to compete for NIH funds at the highest level. He saw that, and it's moved rapidly up those ranks. And so, you know, I, I think he was really, you know, able to see far ahead and, and make the right investments. I think access to healthcare was what was important to him, making sure that people could get it and that it was high quality. And research, he thought, really drove the quality of care. So he really wanted OHSU to be a world-class research organization because he thought the care would be better. And they did so much charity care around Oregon that the access issue was really important to him. Jim Fitzhenry notes that Hatfield's commitment to health care extends beyond Oregon and is rooted in his personal values. There probably was no uh, person more singularly responsible for OHSU becoming a, a, a nationally and regionally known educational and research medical facility than Mark Hatfield. There's a wing at the National Institute of Health now that's named after him. He was committed year after year with medical, uh, a dedicated medical research. He really was committed to that. And his pro-life view carried from literally the cradle to the grave. He was uh, opposed to the death penalty at a time when all Republicans actually supported it and stood up and made very compelling a case as to why the death penalty, certainly a federal death penalty, isn't appropriate. And um, he was wonderfully consistent. His logic was, frankly, unassailable. And those are the positions that he took that caused him to be known as the conscience of the Senate. Chris Meyer connects the health care issue to Senator Hatfield's strong support for helping military veterans, a group close to his heart as a World War II veteran. 
I think it's OHSU Hospital. I mean, I think it has become a number one research institution in the United States because of his work, his funding, his commitment to medical research. I think his commitment to veterans in building the VA hospital and building the Sky Bridge and building all of that. Um, I think that is huge. And the infrastructure, I think the other thing you've got is Mark Hatfield, the environmentalist. Um, you've got the Mount Hood Wilderness, you've got Opal Creek, you've got these incredible amount of preserved forest lands that you don't see anywhere else in the United States. Bill Calder shares a story that demonstrates the value of personal relationships, a topic we covered in the last episode, to Hatfield's work in healthcare. The one thing that Senator Hatfield told me that has stuck with me to this day is, it's all about the interpersonal relationships. I'll never forget the time that he had the head of VA, the VA up there in his office in the Hart Building. He wanted to build the bridge that to this day crosses the span up at OHSU. The Veterans Affairs Department is not in the business of building bridges. Most people would agree with that. But the senator wanted the VA to build this bridge. And I'll never forget the guy, I can't remember his name, but he came into the office one day and he was armed for bear. There was no way the VA was gonna build a bridge for any senator, I don't care who this person was. And he came and there was a big showdown in the senator's office one day. And I'll never forget it because he came in and you could tell he was tough and he was angry and there was no way anybody was gonna get this guy to build a whatever it was, $4 million bridge at some hospital out in Oregon. And he left and the senator and he were shaking hands and he was patting him on the back and there was this great friendship that seems you would think they had just made a deal to fund the VA above and beyond their current budget. Left the office and I'll never forget going to him and saying, Senator, what, what, what just happened? He should be leaving Angry, said, no, no, he's perfectly happy. He's comfortable with it. And the senator got the bridge and the VA funded it. But that was how he operated. He got people to do what he wanted them to do and still had a good relationship with them. Now, part of that was being the ability of having the appropriations committee behind you, but it was clearly a way where he had worked with him and gotten on a personal level with that cabinet secretary and had him leave feeling comfortable about it, which was ironic. Dave Robertson notes that the senator's personal relationships resulted in incredible accomplishments for the state of Oregon. Well, none of that could happen without the relationships. So none of the you know, protecting wilderness or, or uh, you know, the Columbia River salmon and restoring the salmon, uh, the, the OHSU complex that he worked so hard to, to help build. Um, none of that happens unless you've got good working relationships with people that, uh, you know, people across the aisle, people from, from different perspectives and walks of life. Even if you disagree, you're able on a human level to connect and to, to, to work and to, and to work for the good of the state of Oregon. Mike Salzgiver worked on natural resource issues for Senator Hatfield during some of the most contentious times in Oregon history. The listing of the northern spotted owl as endangered helped spark what is often known as the timber wars in Oregon. As he notes, Mark Hatfield was involved in environmental issues long before then, as both governor and in his early Senate career. 
Well, long before I got there, he was active. In fact, a lot of people don't know when he was running for governor, one of the key issues that he dealt with was salmon uh, back in 1950s, 58, 59. And uh, so natural resources and the conservation of Oregon's resources were not new to him. Uh, but certainly in his Senate years, uh, the Oregon Dunes National Monument, uh, the Oregon Wilderness Act, uh, the, the first Wild and Scenic Rivers Act. A lot of people don't know that in 1971, during the Nixon administration, he and Senator Gaylord Nelson of Wisconsin were the first two co-sponsors of the original Endangered Species Act. And so he was at the forefront of what we see as the pillars of today's uh, environmental laws. Um, long before people thought they were popular. I mean, when you look at the dunes, you look at Wild and Scenic Rivers, you look at the Columbia River Gorge, you look at, at uh, Wilderness Acts, you look at what he did for salmon, you look at what he did for water and energy conservation, there's nobody, there's nobody. Very, not only in Oregon history, there's no one that, in my mind, uh, eclipses him. And I mean no one, <laughs> including McCall, uh, which is another story. But uh, I would I would say nationally, uh, there's virtually no one that did as much either for their state or for the country on the area of environmental protection as Senator Hatfield did. We just haven't told the story well. Dave Robertson puts numbers on Senator Hatfield's environmental record. He loved the state. He loved the people. He loved the environment. Um, you know, he's authored more wilderness than any other senator. Uh, he, he took us from a half million acres to 2.2 million acres of wilderness, I think, in the state during his career. Um, a 78 wilderness bill, an 86 wilderness bill, and the Opal Creek wilderness bill uh, in his very last year in 96. So he, he really felt very strongly, I think he, uh, 44 wild and scenic rivers, 42 wild and scenic rivers, I should say, were. Uh, created under his uh, legislation that he authored and moved through the process. So he loved this place and the people, and um, I think that kept him coming to work every day. Jim Fitzhenry notes that the senator's approach helped him tackle the big issues dividing Oregonians. Singular to any other, I think, elected official in Oregon has been responsible for more acreage set aside for wilderness to be protected. And this is as a Republican. Uh, and again, the, the list is rare too, uh, a variety of national forest initiatives, the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act, the Columbia Gorge Act. He really took the concept of stewardship importantly, um, and yet is the one who um, was the only one who could help broker, um, and you'll have others speaking in more detail about this, was, he's, he was the only one who could broker uh, an agreement between the competing factions over the Spotted Owl and timber harvests at a time when small timber-dependent communities were dying. They were going away, um, and that bothered him greatly. And so, uh, and, and he took on a lot of criticism by a number of environmental groups at that time, and yet there was no one who did more for the environment than Mark Hatfield. Born in Dallas, Oregon, it's no surprise that Senator Hatfield supported Oregon's small communities. That support combined with his belief in wilderness protection, placed him in a unique position to work on this issue, according to Kerry Timchuk. Uh, Senator Hatfield was a believer in, in wilderness, but also a believer in a strong and healthy timber industry. 
And he saw a win-win for both, that it was possible to have a vibrant, strong rural economy, but also to, to uh, protect some uh, natural resource treasures for generations to come. And he took a lot of heat from, uh, from both sides. He took heat from the timber industry for supporting wilderness land, and he took heat, protests from the environmentalist community because he did support the timber industry. He did support jobs for rural Oregon. He saw a win-win when I think others just saw, you know, just victory or defeat for their cause. And he saw that there was, I think, victory for, for both causes there if they would just uh, listen to each other. On a whim during his senior year at Willamette University, Gary Barber popped into Jerry Frank's office to see about an internship. Despite looking like a scruffy college kid, his words, Barber got an interview and walked out with an offer to be an intern the fall after he graduated. He credits Hatfield's patience and dedication to hearing from all sides of the issue for the success he had on these tough decisions. The federal government set up a process that was a wilderness review process um, where all the potential wilderness lands basically were untouched for a 10-year period where where they were being studied. And it was very contentious to decide which of those lands would be put into permanent wilderness designation, which would be released for multiple use management or other recreational uses or commercial uses, uh, because um, land was very precious in in Oregon, but the amount of patience he had, again, his tenacity, uh, making sure everybody got heard, um, it was quite remarkable, and you can go through bill after bill, the first wild and scenic rivers legislation, a second batch of wild and scenic rivers legislation, the Columbia Gorge legislation, which was very unique. Mike Salzgiver recalls the trust Senator Hatfield put in his staff to help come up with solutions to challenging environmental issues. You know, when we came, <laughs> when we came up with the idea of the uh, timber conference, the timber summit in 89, uh, Tom and Gail and Kevin Lynch and I had met in Salem and talked about it and came up with this idea and then we all agreed to go talk to our bosses and see if they were open to doing it. <clears throat> well, it turned out that that day he was here in Oregon and I came back to the office and I, I didn't know he was back in the office. I actually thought he was with Jerry at, at a meeting. And so I, was at, I got back to my desk about 10 o'clock and I was on the telephone and he walked in. And I said, hey, I got to go. And I hung up and I said, I didn't know you were here. He goes, yeah. He goes, so where where you been? I go, well, I was, I was in Salem and let me. I need to talk to you. Here's what came up. And um, so I explained the whole concept. We have this idea about this summit and here's who we, how we think we ought to do it. And he, uh, <clears throat> he looked at me, he goes, okay, yeah, I'm good. Let's do, let's do that. And I said, <laughs> here's this little punk kid from Southeast Portland. I looked at him and I said, now, Senator, this is kind of a big deal. Do you want to think about this? And he looks at me, puts his hand on my shoulder. He goes, brother, we've done big things around here before. (laughs) And at that moment, I kind of forgot who I was talking to, you know. Pat Wrighton saw firsthand the senator's approach to solving these tough issues, an approach that was equal parts relationships and toughness. He did know how to play the game, uh, though he wasn't a game player. And I, I often think... You know, in, in the areas that I dealt with, energy and natural resources, there are a lot of really difficult issues and highly controversial uh, policy that went through during the time that I was there. And you, you, 
you think about the spotted owl would be a good example. You think about the impact from land restrictions around wild and scenic rivers. You, you think of other highly charged natural resource disputes. About the time I was uh, getting ready to leave was the era when the uh, Columbia Snake River salmon was listed. He had a quality I wish more policymakers, more legislators, more governors would adopt, which is he'd, he'd, he'd take the two sides and he'd put them in a room and he'd, he'd tell them with utmost certainty that if they didn't come out with a joint solution that he was going to solve it for them. And he would, and he could. And he, had, he had the hammer given his seniority and he would force people to collaborate and didn't take no and division for an answer. And it got a, a lot of things done by forcing people in a room. And you know, there's, there's really something to that, rather than the catering to both sides and letting division win the day. Doug Paul relates a story that illustrates Senator Hatfield's political acumen, which he developed over his 30 years in the U.S. Senate. So a, a big issue was how, how much are we going to spend on salmon recovery efforts and who's going to pay for it and what are the legal requirements that are going to be in place for the Northwest uh, pertaining to salmon recovery. And this was at a point where there was a wide disagreement between de Democrats and Republicans and it was during the Clinton administration. So. You know, there were serious barriers to the Republicans sort of having their way, the Northwest Republicans having their way on these resource issues, on this, on this salmon issue. And he lashed himself <laughs> to the bow of the boat uh, on that one and took the leading role on this. And we worked very hard through many, many meetings. This was in 1995. Uh, to come up with a consensus, and that's what he really wanted. And, and so he's trying to work with the White House, work with the Senate Democrats, and work with the Senate Republicans to try to bring a consensus package forward, and, and, he, and he wasn't successful. And this is where Mark Hatfield, the student of government and the student of relationships and what's possible, came into play. And he realized that we could get 90% of what we wanted, and what we wanted being what he thought was kind of the middle ground, the centrist position on this salmon budget. He thought we could get 90% of that without legislating it, but by using the White House through executive order. And we, once, once he gave that instruction, we had an agreement with them within a matter of days. And it, it required, almost compelled, all the members of the delegation to come behind that, to rally behind that, and it resulted in a, a very nice press conference with the vice president uh, on Capitol Hill and all of the Northwest senators and several other cabinet secretaries um, in attendance, um, very supportive of the compromise package that we came up with. Mike Salzgiver considers the work he did on these issues to be some of the most important of his career. And I think that's the one thing that I do feel good about is whether they, whether people know the history or not, those resources will be there for them. There isn't a day that I drive through the gorge that I'm not proud of the work that we did 
with him to, to do to take care of that area because um, if we hadn't it wouldn't have it would look very different so for posterity uh, for the future that he was uh, indispensable that way as Pat Wrighton notes there is a bigger legacy than a name on buildings his legacy isn't only in the buildings and certainly you see buildings named after him the courthouse is a wonderful monument and it's hard to look at the OHSU complex and the VA hospital, uh, none, none of that, a lot of that would not have happened without his role on the Senate Appropriations Committee. When I think about his legacy uh, during his time in the Senate, I think of places where buildings aren't. I think about wild and scenic rivers, Oregon has the most in the country. I think about substantial additions to wilderness areas. I think about Opal Creek. I think about Newberry National Volcanic Monument. Uh, I think about the Columbia Gorge Act. Coming up on the next episode of the second season of Revisit the Moment, we examine Senator Hatfield's approach to war and peace. Now, people talk today about uh, someone having a vision for life, a, you know, a motivating factor. And I think with respect to atomic weapons and nuclear war, this was his vision. This was what changed him and created uh, his purpose when it came to nuclear policy in the United States and across the globe. He said very openly, it was very clear, that the, the irony here is that the Hiroshima bomb saved his life. Revisit the Moment is produced by me, Kevin Curry. Audio production and design is by Matt Tibbs. Our production assistant is Gavin Pottle. We record at Linfield University in the studios of the Linfield Podcast Network. Special thanks to our sponsor, the Oregon Historical Society. Check out the important work they do preserving Oregon's history at ohs.org. This season is dedicated to the memory of Vic Gilliam, whose support for the Gentlemen of the Senate made recording these interviews possible. Remember to subscribe to Revisit the Moment so you don't miss out on any episodes. Be sure to check out our first season, where we examined Oregon's historic 1996 U.S. Senate race the first all-vote-by-mail federal election in United States history. And if you enjoyed our work, give us a rating and a review.